Hi there, it's episode 136, and today we're talking about taking the road less traveled this holiday season. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, welcome to episode number 136, and today I'm talking with Rachel Rainbolt from Sage Parenting. Rachel is an author and a podcaster and a writer, and she and her family do life very differently from the mainstream. Rachel's an advocate for natural parenting and unschooling, and she's going to talk to you a little bit more about what those words mean to her. But at the core of our conversation today is this discussion of doing things differently, and Many of us are doing life a little bit differently than we were raised. And during the holiday season, when we're reuniting with our extended family members, this often comes up. So Rachel and I are talking through how she handles raising kids differently from the way that she was raised and from the way that the extended family is raising their children as well. Before we get into today's episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Unless you're new to the podcast, you've probably heard me sing the praises of PrepDish. PrepDish is a meal planning service, and I'm always excited to find podcast sponsors that I truly believe and support and use myself. And PrepDish has been such an essential tool in simplifying the cooking and meal prep in our home. We've been using PrepDish for about four months. And while I was previously doubtful that this sort of service would ever work for me, It truly does. And here's how it works. They don't send you food or anything like that. They send you a PDF every week. And on that PDF, there's three parts. There's a list of the recipes and the ingredients, a prep day description, and a meal day description. So usually on about Thursday, I order my groceries online. So I sit down with a list of ingredients. I put those into my shopping cart and order them through my local grocery store delivery service. And then over the weekend, my husband and I worked together to do the prep day. The prep day option for the standard option takes about an hour and a half. They also have a quick option that's faster. So on prep day, we make all the marinades, all the sauces. We do all the chopping. That way, when it comes time to actually serve the dish on the day of the meal, I only have to do maybe 10 minutes worth of work. The whole process is simple and seamless, and it has made our weekdays so much easier and so much lighter. PrepDish is giving the Simple Families audience two weeks free, so try it. Let me know how it goes. I want to know if you love it as much as I do. You can go to PrepDish.com forward slash families, and that's all lowercase. And there you can get your two weeks of free meal planning. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash families. Back to today's episode. I truly hope that you find today's episode valuable. For anyone out there that's struggling with extended family members and balancing unique parenting philosophies, there is absolutely hope and possibility for finding balance in those challenging relationships. It actually makes me think of a saying that my five-year-old and I use back and forth pretty often. When I get frustrated with him, I'll say to him afterwards, sometimes we get frustrated with each other, but we still love each other. And he does the same with me. He'll get frustrated with me. And then after he cools down, he'll come back to me with those words. I think that that expression very much applies to everyone that we love. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to get along. And sometimes we're going to get frustrated with each other. But no matter what, we still love each other. So I encourage you, if you're doing life differently, if you are taking the road less traveled, do you and pursue all that is important to you. But also be respectful and understanding when everyone around you might be doing things a little different or they might not quite understand what you're doing. Rachel brings a lot of good wisdom in this conversation about how to bring people together when the philosophies are different. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have questions or comments or you want to learn more about Rachel, you can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 136. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining me to talk a little bit about your plans for the holidays. I am so excited to talk about this topic because, I mean, we're getting into November now, and this is when things really, like, the pace of everything picks up for most families. So it's something that's really important to talk about. It is. And I think that if we're not intentional about it, it can get really easy to go down the rabbit hole of getting sucked into buying and doing and busy and all these things that take away from the true meaning of the holiday season. Yes. So before we get into this, tell us a little bit about you and what you do and your parenting approach. So uh, I'm Rachel Rainbolt. I live in the Pacific Northwest with my husband and my three kids. They are now 13, 10, and almost seven. And we gentle parent. We were attachment parenting in the beginning and we homeschool, unschool, whatever the word is. Basically, we embrace like natural parenting and natural learning as a family. And then I have my business, Sage Parenting, where I have a book series like Sage Homeschooling, Sage Parenting, Sage Breastfeeding, Sage Sleep. I do classes. I have one about minimalism, um, one about homeschooling. And then my main bread and butter is that I do coaching. So I do online coaching with families around the world. And then I have a podcast as well, the Sage Family Podcast, where I've interviewed you and it was a fantastic episode all about minimalism. <laughs> so thank right. you. And that's how I got to know you is through that episode. And I had so much fun recording that. So I want to know more about gentle parenting. I think we hear these words, gentle parenting, positive parenting, conscious yeah. parenting. Like what makes some sense of that for us? It basically means that the connection is at the root of our interaction. So we kind of shake off all of those mainstream expectations and pressures and we just hold that intention. We set our compass toward honoring the natural child, really respecting their needs and valuing the connection at the heart of everything. So using that relationship with your child as your method of disciplining and educating your child. Yeah. For example, collaboration like that. That's based connection and collaboration basically would replace discipline. So instead of using some sort of power-based technique to manipulate my child toward a certain outcome that I decide I want, I would connect with my kid like in a hard moment and I would hear their feelings and help them hold the space for whatever experience they're having. And then we would collaborate together to figure out a way to move forward that would work for everyone. So I think, and I love that, and I do that a lot with my own children in that instead of getting angry and upset when they're angry and upset, that I go towards connecting with them. And I find that if I can stay calm, they generally have a much easier time getting back to calm. Yeah. But I think this is far from the mainstream. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So I'm thinking about this in terms of the holidays and that it's safe to say that you're parenting away from mainstream parenting approaches. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe different from the way that you were parented by your own parents? Most definitely. And different from the way your husband was parented? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clarify all those things. So we're the black sheep. Yes. <laughs> okay. For better or worse. So you're different. You're doing things differently than your extended family members. And I think yes. that sometimes, and in my own experience that I've seen this, is that 
when you're doing things differently, sometimes it can be interpreted as by to your own parents as maybe they did things wrong since you're doing choosing to do things differently. Do you think that yeah. comes up? Yes. I think that especially in the beginning, a lot of people will offer advice to you when they see that you're doing things differently to try to, with the best of intentions, to try to get you back in line with how they did things. And so I think in the beginning, it takes a lot of confidence. I sometimes tell families that I really don't get a lot of judgment or criticism anymore from my extended family or when I'm out in the world. And the two factors that I've seen to be the most helpful with that is just to be happy myself and then to be confident in my choices. So when I make a choice, I've done a lot of research and I've gotten to know my child really well and what their needs are. And then I've made a choice with intention. So then I have a lot of confidence with that. And then I choose to be like happy and joyful and to be okay and accepting of my child however they are in the present moment. So if we're in the grocery store and I have a toddler and they're crying on the floor, I can sit right beside them on the floor and say, I'm, I'm right here whenever you're ready to talk about it. And I feel okay about that. I feel good about that. I feel confident in that. And so when people walk by, they're not kind of rushing over to try and help me fix the situation or giving me dirty looks because, you know, I'm smiling and like nodding at them. And if you're happy and confident in what you're doing, people feel that. And so I think it's the same with my extended family is that in the beginning, there may have been a lot more of that, but we're really confident in the way that we parent. And to a certain extent, like the proof is in the pudding, like our kids are really thriving. And, you know, if my kid does something and they see how attuned I am and how we get through it in a different way, but we still move through it and we're all happy about the way we've moved through it, then people don't really feel a need to step in, if that makes sense. That does make sense. It's this idea that if you're portraying that you're out of control, if that's what others perceive, they're much more likely to come in with support and advice. Or that if you're in distress, okay. it's not even so much about discontrol, but if, if they perceive that someone they care about is in distress, they want to step in and help, you know, right. which like I was saying, like, it's a good intention. People don't do it because they're evil, especially when we're talking about families because they love you and they care about you and they care about your kids. But if you are giving off that vibe that you are in immense distress, then people are going to want to step in and try to help. And often that looks like judgment and criticism and advice. Right. And I guess when I was thinking about in control, I'm thinking more about in control of your emotions. Mm. Like if you're kind of all over the place and you look like you have no idea what you're doing, you're giving off this perception, right? Yeah. Distress. And generally it looks like distress. And I don't even know that I would say I am necessarily always in control of my emotions, but I would say that I am okay feeling whatever emotions I'm having. Okay. So like I might even say to my kid, like, I'm feeling so frustrated right now because I worked so hard on this cake that we're bringing to this birthday party and it just got smashed, you know, whatever it is. Like, oh gosh, I'm so upset right now. And, and like as a family, we'll kind of work through those feelings and talk about them. So I'm, I don't even know that I would necessarily say I'm always in control. Like every once in a while, something will make me cry or will make me angry, but I'm always okay with feeling whatever feeling I'm having. And again, I think that other people perceive that. Like even if I'm going through a hard time, people are like, oh, she's struggling in this moment, but like, she's okay. Like their family is okay. They got it. Yeah. And that, that does make sense to me. So it's this, others are not necessarily trying to insert themselves and their own yeah. ideas about parenting on you because things are flowing and your kids are growing and flourishing regardless. Yes. Yes. 
So I'm thinking about, I had a call last week with a friend who was telling me the story about how her daughter had this really big outburst in front of her extended family and her mother got pretty upset and said, you need to spank her because she was really acting out. And she ended up sort of like swinging and hitting her mom, my friend and her mom. That was what the grandmother had said, you know, you need to spank Uh her. She needs, and that's something I think comes up with different generations. And I think that our parents' generation was a lot more likely to lean towards those sort of approaches, the more authoritarian, dictator, control-style approaches. And our generation is leaning a little more towards a responsive, authoritative approach to parenting. And that it can be different generationally. Do you see that? Absolutely. I mean, when we know better, we do better. And the research that has come out especially in the last like generation has so clearly <laughs> shown us, you know, that that way, in addition to being like morally <laughs> pretty bad, it doesn't work. And it has all these negative short-term and long-term outcomes. So I think sometimes you can speak to offering that informational piece is one part of the conversation. So if there's someone who's a permanent person in your life and you find that you fall into this habit of you have a moment of struggle, they tell you what you need to be doing, and it tends to always have the same flavor. I'm a big proponent of sitting down and having a conversation with those people who are permanent people in your life and you're having these recurring themes to sit down and have a conversation and explain just briefly how you've come to the decision you've come to on how to respond to this specific thing and that they don't have to agree with it, but you do ask that they respect it. And then you just kind of share what that would look like. And in that conversation, you can offer like information in the language that they process things for them to learn more about it if they so choose. They may not choose to, but at least you can offer something to them. I think what you said about explaining your rationale very simply, but also giving them an example of what that might look like, I think that's really important because I think that sometimes you can put it out there and you can explain why you're doing things, but they still don't exactly know the best way to react or what exactly you're looking for from them in those situations. Exactly. And then we are building up this resentment with this person around this issue, but it's really unfair to expect someone to meet your needs if they don't know what those needs are. So being just really clear about If I'm having a moment of struggle, I would receive you as your love and support through this. Like if you offer me a hug, (laughs) you know, or if you, whatever it is, like if you take my other kids outside, you know, or just, or to hang out with my other kids, or if you, whatever it is that you would receive as love and support in that moment, let them know. Cause part of it too, is that they care about you and they want to do something. Like people have this urge to like, fix it. Right. And so give them something so that they know and that you're clear with them what you would receive as loving and supportive in that moment. And that might mean them taking a walk. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do something with your family, but just, yeah, to be clear with them is a really important piece because what is loving and supportive from their perspective is not the same thing as what's loving and supportive from your perspective. Right. And I think this comes up around the holidays because we are spending a lot more time with extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. And sometimes those micro families within the extended family are doing things differently. And sometimes that can be at conflict. Do you see that? Absolutely. When you're with extended family, I think there are two really hard things that happen. One is that 
It definitely puts a microscope on any really small dynamics or issues, like it makes them bigger. <laughs> and the second thing is that when we are with our family of origin, we tend to revert back to the role that we had when we were growing up. So even if you've done all this really quality work in your adult life to like evolve and self-actualize, when you go back into that system that you were raised in, it's really hard to not revert to that old way of being because oftentimes who we are now doesn't fit with the role that we play in our extended family. Right. So like, that's why when I am with my mom, sometimes I can turn into like 16 year old me and get so frustrated. <laughs> I mean, does that happen to you? I wonder if that happens to anyone else. Oh my like, gosh, I'm yes. like totally normal, high functioning human that has pretty calm, positive <laughs> relationships. But sometimes I literally can be like a 16 year old again when I'm with my parents. Yes. Yeah. I am definitely, I, I do not show up as my best self when I, when I am back in that system for sure. Like the, the force, the gravity that it feels like is pulling me back into my a previous version of myself is so strong. And that definitely makes everything feel bigger and harder. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> So around the holiday season, there are a lot of expectations. And what are your thoughts on when your family expects you, you know, maybe you have three different sets of family that all expect you to be visiting on Christmas day or on Thanksgiving or whatever it is. What are your thoughts on balancing your time with extended family? That's such a good question. I kind of, this term holding space is something that really resonates with me. And around the holidays, it's something I often have to remind myself of. So I kind of picture these like concentric circles. And at the center is like the individual, like for example, my child's, you know, individual self. And the next circle out would be like immediate family and, you know, certain extended family members, maybe like chosen family, like really close friends, you know, wh however your circles go is not as important community all the way out to the world. But how your concentric circles go isn't as important as having that conceptualization. So you can hold the space for everybody's needs and preferences kind of in that priority <laughs> hierarchy, if that makes sense. So like we really sit down as a family and collaborate around what we want for a given holiday season. And for us, you know, we have values of things like unbusy and contributing to our community and things like that, that we nature, like that are really important for us. And we sort of design our holiday around that. And we invite in or incorporate other people in those going out concentric circles as it contributes to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So you place the priority within yourself and your husband and your children. And then yeah. once you figure out what those values and what those needs look like, then you invite others in and you include others from there. Exactly. I basically, what I'm saying is that I don't, we don't design our holiday season around a sense of expectations or obligations. Okay. <laughs> now I asked you, cause I interviewed Gretchen Rubin a couple of weeks ago and she has these four tendencies yeah. and I'd asked you to take the test cause I think it's so relevant in the holiday. So what's your tendency? I'm going to, can I guess? Yes. Is it rebel? No. no? What are you? No. I am a questioner. Okay. And I had never heard of this before when you asked me to do it. And once I got the answer, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I could have just glanced at this and told you that I'm definitely a questioner. because I'm not a rebel because I don't do things just for the sake of being ornery. Got it. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I definitely saw you as a questioner, someone who questions outside expectations. I guess that's the internal part that that's yeah. the moving factor. I'm also a questioner. Yeah. So I think that's maybe that's why we're both podcast hey, hosts, right? <laughs> exactly. So, and I feel like for us, for questioners, like it's easier for us to make these decisions about the holidays, to not feel this overwhelming sense of obligation. But for what Gretchen calls the obligers, the people who are really concerned with meeting the expectations of others, I think it can be really hard to differentiate between what their own needs are and what the needs of others are and how to balance that. Absolutely. And I try to help families when I'm, you know, doing coaching work and helping them with this, especially with like setting boundaries and things with extended family to start small, like to really be clear on your why, which is usually like some version of honoring your kids' needs or honoring your needs. So just be really clear with your why and start small, like really, really small. And that's true of everything that's uncomfortable and leads to growth in the direction that you want to move in. Like for example, totally unrelated example, but like honoring your kid's body autonomy. Like if an extended family member, like if your mother always like sort of forces this big hug on your kid and they don't like it, start small. Like so if someone in the grocery store goes to touch your kid, like say, oh, let's ask first, you know, do you want to touch? And if they say no, then oh, no, I'm sorry. She doesn't want to touch right now. So like start really small with people that aren't that important and work up to it. And that will help you like grow that muscle of asserting those boundaries. Right. And teaching our kids to stand up for their own boundaries and their own values. Yes. And they, the first way that they learn that is you doing it for them because really, you know, like our prefrontal cortex, our children borrow it. Like I've talked about that on my podcast before, like they really rely on the more developed parts of our brain and they see them kind of like an external hard drive <laughs> for themselves. So in the very beginning, like we do it for them and they learn, oh, like this is what that feels like. Oh, this is, you know, what it sort of it sets the baseline, if that makes sense. And then as they get older, it's more like role modeling. They see you do it for yourself and then you give them freedom and access and support in in developing their independence and their autonomy, you know, you sort of, you start off at the front and then you end up moving to the back. Yeah. And I agree with that, that our kids really look to us to see how we act and then they model those ways. And I think that yeah. if they don't see us standing up for our own personal boundaries, and if they don't see us standing up for our values, they're not going to get that experience and they're not going to have that exposure. And it's going to be a lot harder for them to do it. Absolutely. I mean, if you show up to a big gathering and you are hugging a bunch of people and your kids can see on your face how uncomfortable you are and you're doing it out of a sense of obligation or maybe because they have more authority than you, like your kids are absorbing that. Like when a stranger that maybe has more authority over them touches their body in a way that makes them uncomfortable, they're just going to go along with it because that's you know, what they've internalized. And that's what, you know, as other people have done that to them, you've sort of fake smiled and nodded. Like, and this is an extreme example, but I'm just trying to use this example because it's, it, it kind of makes it really easy for people to understand how something that seems so, it seems like it would be so hard to change and so easy to go along with. But all of these things really have big reverberations for our kids. Yeah. And when I think about kids who don't like to hug, and I think this is really common. There are kids, a lot of kids out there who don't want to be hugging strangers. And 
We can push kids into a hug. And I think it's really powerful for us as the adults to help give them the words and to help them communicate that they would prefer something else like, oh, you're not in a mood for a hug. What about a handshake or a high five or giving them some sort of alternative way to interact with the other person that isn't necessarily shutting them down or alienating them? Absolutely. And that collaboration piece too, right? So like if grandma's leaving and grandma goes in for a hug and the child doesn't want it, asking the child, like, how else can we say goodbye to grandma? You know, how else can we send grandma on her way with love and see what ideas that they can come up with? Yes. So I'm curious about what's your approach to traditions around the holiday? Do you have any traditions that you do every year or anything that's really important to you and your family? Yeah, I think that we have some like rituals, traditions that are really meaningful for us. Like for example, we, every Thanksgiving, we make a really ridiculously too much food dinner for just our small family, or maybe we'll have like a Friendsgiving and we have friends over, but we make way too much food and like potluck style, we have way too much. And then after we finish eating, we make up a bunch of plates with all of the leftover food until we run out of food and we put tinfoil on them. And then we drive around and the kids hand out the food to people who are living on the street. So that's just like one really simple example. And my kids came up with that idea. Like I didn't read it on a blog or I didn't come up with it. There was just all this food that we were throwing away and they see people like out on the street. And so they were like, well, can we go bring it to them? And that like has become one of our family traditions. I love that idea. And I love that your kids played a role in developing it because I think that when we let our kids help co-create those traditions with us, they're going to be even more invested and even more important to them. Yeah. And I will say like, we've had to step away from like extended family obligations in order to have the space and the freedom to develop new traditions like that. Yes, totally. And With the holidays, you know, I feel a little bit divided on traditions because sometimes they can feel like they are weighing us down or they can feel hard to execute. And I just, I have to jump in because when you even said the word tradition, I don't know if you caught like my... My Afro, I just don't love the word tradition, which is silly. I know it's like my baggage around it, but for that reason, because so often people do things that don't add value to their lives and don't bring out their best selves and, and aren't good for their kids or their families just because it's quote unquote tradition. Right. And you know, I would say the maybe the number one question I get from my audience members around the holidays is how do we get the grandparents to stop giving so much stuff? The number two question is how do we create simple holiday traditions? And I, every time I hear that question, I think to myself, don't like, just don't try because the traditions that are really meaningful and really impactful and special are the ones that develop on their own and they stick on their own. Yes, that is exactly the same advice. I would say that people, before they let go of current traditions that maybe feel awful, they don't want to let them go until they have something new to replace them. But it doesn't work that way. You have to have the open space for those things to develop first. So you have to let go of the things that aren't really serving you in the ways that are meaningful for you before the new things will develop. Exactly like you said. Yeah. And the past several years, I've had this Christmas tradition dream where we're going to go for a hike every Christmas morning since we don't spend a lot of time opening presents and we're yet Mm -hmm. to go for a hike. (laughs) Like that's because we don't feel like hiking on Christmas. And as whimsical and fun as it sounds, like that's not what we're doing and it's not a tradition. And 
I need to stop like fantasizing about traditions because they'll come about like the ones that will last are going to come about on their own. And maybe it's just going to be sitting on the sofa watching Christmas movies together or cuddled up. Like exactly, like the things that are meaningful and lasting for your kids, like the things they're going to look back on fondly are going to be those small things, you know, the the things that don't necessarily seem like as Instagrammable. Yes. But those are the things that are going to be really meaningful to your kids. Right. You're not going to write something on Facebook and have a bunch of people saying, oh, I want to do this or that sounds great. Like it's just going to be the basic everyday stuff that just feels really special sometimes. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like whenever I get that question, I just want to be like, like, just stop. Just don't. Don't try. Like it will come. If you build it, and it even come. that sense of being like unhurried. Like when I grew up, we had this tradition of always going to my grandmother's house on Christmas Eve evening, and she would serve us this meal. And her four children and their kids, like all my cousins, we would open gifts from all the extended family, and it was lovely. And then as I grew up, like our family grew exponentially as all of those children had lots of children of their own. And when there was this notable shift when it started to get too crazy and my grandma, the wise, beautiful boundary setter, she is retired at that point. And another family took it over and we went like once after that shift happened and it was just pandemonium. Like each kid was supposed to get presents from everyone. I swear to God, it was from wall to wall in all directions going up really high of presents. And it was just absolute chaos of just ripping open presents and wrapping paper and crap that, you know, the kids are not ever going to play with like or use, just thrown everywhere. And we decided as a family not to, to step away from that like tradition that had been really important to my family. And it did make a lot of waves, but we had to hold the space for our values. Like that experience wasn't really what I wanted Christmas to be for my kids. So instead, before we moved, we had a tradition of like going to this really special city garden that had this special light event that happened on that night. And that kind of became our new tradition. But first we had to step away from the one that didn't feel like a good fit for us. And then once that space was there, you know, new traditions and rituals presented themselves that we could take advantage of. Right. So it's okay to say no about traditions that you've enjoyed in the past, but aren't necessarily fitting your needs right now. Yes. So I love this idea that you can say no, because sometimes those traditions that become so strong in our family. And those sense of obligations that become so strong can be really hard. It can be hard to know how to handle those feelings. Yeah. I think that in life in general, learning, like growing that muscle of saying no is something that is really important, especially around the holidays when there are so many really good things that you could say yes to. You have to be really clear on where your compass is is set. I mean, looking like we do a lot of experiences. We're big on like experiential learning. I run a homeschool adventure club. Like we do a lot of really interesting experiences. And in the month of December, there are so many, (laughs) so many really great, interesting experiences to take advantage of. But like you have to say no to like 80% of them. Otherwise you find yourself in that state that so many mainstream families find themselves in around the holidays where they're harried and stressed and broke and busy. And I say no to all of that so that I can say yes to a different way of life. So when you told your family that you weren't going to be participating in that tradition anymore, how did that go down? Can you tell me a little bit more about that interaction or what you said or how you approached it? 
Yeah, it was a while ago. So I'm trying to remember the specifics at this point. But I mean, they weren't happy, but they respected it. I think it's the same thing. Like anytime you step away from something that your extended family does, you sort of get that response where they're not happy about it. And they may not exactly understand it, but they respect it and they accept it. (laughs) You're sort of like this flash, you know, like the stages of grief, (laughs) like that they move through real quick. And then you get to the other side. So I probably, I mean, I'm sure I just sat them down and said that I've really appreciated having this beautiful tradition throughout my childhood. I know that it's something really special for our extended family. And (laughs) we also really try to embrace a sense of calm and experiences and not gifts and all these things that we work really hard to cultivate in our children. And so we're trying to move away from things that really have a focus on busyness and chaos and presence and move into this, this other sort of way of celebrating the holidays. So for Christmas Eve, we're going to do this instead. And also I think it's important to to keep the door open for their inclusion in other things that we may do. So I would always include when we say no to, to things of obligation and expectation, I always say, and you're always welcome to join us, like throw in something like that. So they know that it's not about, I don't want to be with you. It's just about that we're making a different choice, but we're not leaving you behind. Like you're welcome to visit us in this space that you may think is weird, but you're always welcome. (laughs) And I think it's important to say that because I think on some level, acknowledging that maybe the way you're choosing to do things isn't the mainstream. It's a little uncomfortable putting that out there. I think that's important because these conversations are uncomfortable. Yeah. I found that really too, if you can emphasize that you you value the wisdom and experience of your extended family members. Like I always start off there. You value their participation in your life. You really have taken to heart the wisdom and experience that they've shared with you. Like I always start with that. And it's not just lip service. Like it's true. I feel like people who have who have lived some life, like, you know, they have some wisdom and some experience and some wisdom to share. And so I do hear it. And and that's a part of my decision-making process. But it's one of like getting to know my individual child and their needs, like certainly weighs significantly heavier (laughs) in our decision-making and in our lifestyle designing. But communicating that, like when you're saying no to extended family traditions, communicating how much you value them in, in your children's lives and how meaningful their traditions and their your relationship with them is and then just having that invitation opening that door like so you are always welcome to join us while we take our christmas morning walk or you know whatever it is that you guys do i think that sort of lays home the message that this is not about rejecting you right and it's about choosing something else yeah and that i guess there's part of that i think that is uncomfortable for people because it's sort of like you just do it because you do it and that's the way we do things and that's how life you just do what the people before you did and you just go with the flow and i think that there is a lot of that mentality especially when it comes to traditions around the holidays you do it because that's what we're supposed to do do you feel that yes absolutely and i really a lot of the like advocacy work i do is empowering families to to be strong enough to go against that because there are so many things i mean racism is tradition. Like there are so many things that if you are just living off of the script you inherited, you're not going to be parenting as well as you can. Your children are not going to thrive as much as they can. You're not going to be as happy as you could be. And the world is certainly not going to be a better place. 
Yes. And I think that the overall happiness and impact on your family is going to definitely be evident. Yeah. We need to be making like informed decisions. And there are a lot of traditions that are really great and can be, you know, like I love eating a big Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I, I am certainly in favor of that tradition. So like there are traditions that are really, really great. You know, my mom like sang to me and I, and I sing all the time to my kids. Like there are even things that I've inherited from my family of origin that I love and that I have decided like definitely have a place in our family, but just to be really intentional about those choices. So you're not just living on autopilot, like to just really make these decisions intentionally. Good. I love that. I think that those are really good words to remember, especially as we're moving into this season, which can be complicated when it comes to managing relationships and obligations and our own families and, and how all those things come together. Yes, absolutely. But do you, like it's worth it. It feels uncomfortable, but discomfort leads to growth. Like what is that great quote? Discomfort is the price of admission for a meaningful life. I haven't heard that, but I like it. Susan David, that is one of my favorite quotes from her because it's true. If you're feeling uncomfortable, that is absolutely an invitation to lean in. So if something makes you uncomfortable, lean into it. And on the other side of that discomfort is growth. Yes. And I totally agree. Yes. Send me that quote. I want to add it into the show notes. I definitely will. I think that I'll love it. So talk to me about gift buying. How do you handle gifts for your kids, for extended family members, with you and your husband? I'd love to hear what you do. Such a great question. We really value experiences. So I think part of it is setting the expectation for extended family. You know, extended family are often the culprits if you're trying to embrace minimalism or living a simpler life that where a lot of things get dumped in. But just like we were talking about with being clear, clearly communicating what love and support looks like for you, like how you receive that. Do the same thing around gift giving. So for my extended family, I send them like ideas, like how about membership to the aquarium or passes to the museum or lessons for horseback riding or this trip to this lake that the kids really want to visit. So I collaborate with the kids around what experiences we want to have in the next season. And then I offer my extended family ideas like that. And every once in a while, there will be a thing like maybe like my youngest recently really wanted a new pair of Heelys. So like I put those on the list, like a new pair of Heelys. Sure. So we do give a few gifts, like things that, you know, there's always something that the kids have been talking about for a while that they really want. I basically, for like mental clutter, I keep lists and notes on my phone. Like I have a present and future to-do list. I have like a meal planning list, all those kinds of things. And one of them is a buy list that just has basically gift ideas that I jot down throughout the year. And if a kid or my husband or somebody kind of says something over and over, it just kind of keeps coming back up. I'll jot it down there. And then I pull from that. So you do do some tangible gifts and some experiential gifts. We do do some tangible gifts, but it's not like, hey, it's December 1st, make a list of 100 things that you want that you saw in Toys R Us commercials and I'll go buy them. (laughs) It's not like that. So it's things that they've been talking about over the course of the year or things that have really been sort of tried and true, stuck around for a long time, ideas that they... that Exactly, exactly. Like my oldest, we buy them like a thick fleece and a rain shell, sort of like our layered winter gear for living in the Pacific Northwest. And every time she like would put on her flannel and wear it out, she wouldn't feel super confident. And I could just kind of see on her face, she didn't think it was super flattering. And it wasn't like she ever said, 
this place is terrible, but we would kind of have conversations where she'd be like, oh, look at that jacket. Like, see how it fits. And so then for her birthday, we bought her like a new sweatshirt that she can wear under her rain shell and she can wear out. And, uh, and she felt like really happy about that and really confident in the new sweatshirt. So things like that, where like it's something that you notice that you think would really add value to your kid's life or something that they've communicated will, that they think will really add value to their lives. And it's stuck around. Yeah. And my son has been asking for a remote control car for like nine months and he just, <laughs> just got it from my parents for his birthday. He has a November birthday and he was absolutely thrilled. I'm yet to see how long it's going to hold his interest. We'll see. But the interest in it definitely stuck around. So I was like, you know what? Like it's not something it actually might be his first battery powered toy when he just, he's turning five. But at the same time, we'll see because he's the interest in the toy stuck around for long enough. And I'm curious if that will. Yeah. I have to say, I'm even okay with my kids having something that they play with nonstop for a short period of time. I think that they, sometimes they can really get something out of that. And we just, we definitely have kind of a one in one out rule. We're not super prescriptive about the number, but my kids are super willing to let things go when they're no longer adding value to their lives. And so we don't have a whole bunch of crap everywhere around our house and we're not like drowning in toys. If there is something they really want, they have they get their own money and they can buy stuff or they can ask for things and and sometimes we'll buy them things, but again, we're really intentional about like they'll play with something for a while and then when they've gotten all that they can get out of it, they're happy to either sell it or give it away to a friend or post it in the buy nothing group and they pass it off to another child. So I think as long it can be okay to have some things that you've chosen with intention coming in and then at the same token, you have to have things going out. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that is something that we are always doing too. We're kind of always calling through and seeing what are we using? What are we not using? Trying to stay focused on buying things that we're going to be able to keep for a long period of time for our kids as well. And I think there's something yeah. about the culture of kids today that we feel like their stuff is expendable. It's like the toys should be plastic. Mm. They're not going to last. The clothes should be cheap because they're going to get ruined. And I think that that mentality towards kids, the sort of throwaway culture that we are inadvertently teaching them is something that's going to stick with them. And as they grow, they're most likely going to grow with that philosophy too. Oh, I completely agree. And like my, I think there are a lot of really clever ways to sidestep this. Cause I think that one of the criticisms that I've heard of like minimalism with kids is like that you're just always telling your kid no. And that's not how we parent. Like we really find the quality. Yes. But for example, my youngest is has been really into rocks and he has these great you know, every time we're out in nature, he like brings home a rock and we have this nature tray. And he was sort of learning more about how certain rocks are polished. And we just posted in our local buy nothing group if anyone had a rock tumbler and someone did. And we just went over to their house and picked it up. And he spent like three weeks like tumbling rocks and learning a bunch about rocks. And then we posted it back in the buy nothing group. So I think this like sharing culture has been a really valuable way for us to sort of make it not about like, yes, you can have something you want or no, you can't have something you want, but more about let's not just be mindless, insatiable consumers. Right. And I think that the sharing and borrowing culture is less common today than it was 30 years ago. I've actually yeah. sort of picked the brains of my audience members about this a little bit and understanding why don't we borrow more? 
why don't we use the library more? There's lots of things that I feel like we used to borrow a generation ago and we don't as much. We're more inclined to buy now. We are so big on the sharing culture. We go to the library every week and we have a giant like box with wheels that we bring with us and bring home a ton of books. And we love our local Buy Nothing group. And then we have like a nice tribe, like a nice group of friends. And we all pass things around through our friendship group. And everyone knows like if you inherit a giant bag of clothes in your kid's size, there is no obligation to keep everything in that bag. Um, But we do share like a lot of the things are expensive and the kids don't use them very long, like rain boots, you know, they might grow out of them after like a month into the season, things like that happen. So I am obsessed with sharing culture. When we moved here, we had to renovate our house and we didn't have any tools and our neighbors like have lent us so many tools, which makes so much brilliant sense. Like I wish there was a library for tools because you use it like once and then, and then not again until next year. Like there are a lot of things like that. So we really embrace the sharing culture and our kids, our kids see how much we all get out of that as a family. Yes. And I think it's something we can all work towards now more so because it's so easy to buy. It's so easy to get on Amazon and order that tool and have it the next day or in two days rather than having to sort of ask around and scout out from friends and family members who might have it and who you could borrow it from. So it does take a little bit of work. And then it also takes the returning of the item. And I think after asking around a little bit about this idea of borrowing and why we don't do it more, that was what I had heard over and over again was this thought that we have to keep track of the item and we have to return the item, especially for borrowing. That's part of the value add from our perspective, though, that builds in the connection piece. Like people also talk about feeling so isolated and how they're not connected with people around them anymore. And this has been a piece to help us with that because when we moved here, we didn't know anyone. And that's one of the ways we really got to know all of our neighbors. So like if we borrow a ladder, you know, we're going over there and we're talking about the projects that we're working on and they're helping us carry it back. And then even while we have it and we're quote unquote, keeping track of it, like we're thinking about that neighbor and we're feeling grateful and appreciative of them sharing this item with us. So I think it can be stressful keeping track of borrowed items if you have a whole lot of items. (laughs) But if you keep your home environment like minimal and keep the number of items you own, you know, pared down and simple, then for us anyway, it really feels like a value add when we have this other item that someone else has lent us. Yeah. And I I love that idea. I think I'm going to look, I don't think we have a local group for borrowing and sharing, but I'm going to see. You should look up, buy nothing. I mean, I don't like work for their (laughs) organization or anything, but We've been a lot of places and I've yet to find a place that does not have one. It's a, it's on Facebook. So it's just buy nothing. And then they're split up into really small, like your exact neighborhood area. And then people just share stuff. Cool. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking into that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been a lot of fun. I've loved hearing about how you and your families do the holidays. And that to me, it's so great to listen to the different perspectives because every family is so unique. Just because I do it one way or you do it another way, it doesn't mean anyone else is doing it wrong. And really finding what works for our own personal selves and honoring that is so important. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, except the way that I do it is definitely right. And the way, if anyone does it differently, they're clearly in the wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm totally good. <laughs> I'm 
kidding. I'm kidding. I agree with everything she yeah. just said. <laughs> However you do it is right. I mean, the bottom line is if your children are thriving and if you are thriving, you're doing it right. It's really that simple. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we try to overanalyze that and we try to think like, oh, is this okay? Or am I doing it right? And and that's just, we need to let go of that because if it's working for you and your kids are happy and you're happy and life is good, then just go with it and don't second guess yourself. Yes. I get a lot of that attitude around homeschooling too, where people are just desperate to check in with me. And it's basically me saying, looks like your kids are thriving and you're thriving. You're doing it right. Yeah. Go on your merry way. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, Danae. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Rachel. If you have questions or you want to leave comments about this episode, if it resonated with you, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 136. And if you're interested in staying in touch with Simple Families, you can go to simplefamilies.com. And at the top, there's a space to leave your email address. That's the best way to stay in touch. You'll get updates with what's going on in the community, on the blog, on the podcast, you name it. When you have a moment, please leave a rating or review in iTunes for this show. It helps this show to reach more people. Thanks again for tuning in and happy holidays.